Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the Lord's Prayer. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6 right now. That's uh, where we find the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, where we're going to be, we're going to be jumping around a lot today in scripture. And so you can have your Bibles ready, but also know everything's going to be on the screen here for you as well. As you're doing that, I'm going to share with you uh, a story written by David Martin. And this is a, a personal account that he reflects on that I think sets the stage well for where we are in the Lord's Prayer and is likely um, a reflection of emotions and a place that many of us have been. Here's what he writes. He's an adult, but he reflects back to when he was 16. I was 16 years old and found myself in my room packing the final boxes for a move I didn't want to make. My parents were divorcing. My dad decided he wanted a new life, one that didn't include my siblings, my mom, or me. As we moved into a much smaller house, we unpacked most of those boxes, but there was one I refused to unpack. In this box, there was an assortment of anger, hurt, rage, and unforgiveness. This box, while small, was heavy, and for the next 20 years, this box came with me to every new house or town that I moved to. You didn't have to see what was in my box to tell what was in the box. My choices, how I related to others, my addictive behavior, my actions, were all a reflection of its contents. I somehow had allowed myself to turn into an emotional hoarder. In my mind, getting rid of this box filled with anger and unforgiveness seemed to suggest that I'd also have to dismiss or excuse the wrongs that had caused them. I was the person Marianne Williamson describes as unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. As time went on, I discovered that there were some wounds that time doesn't heal. To ignore or wish our wounds away is to simply create an environment for them to fester and become infected. Untreated wounds make us sick. I think many of us, as I said before, can relate to David in the sense we carry around with us emotions that are all connected to unforgiveness and we so often just hold on to them. As C.S. Lewis wrote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. Forgiveness is hard. It's messy and more often difficult to give than it is to receive. Yes, we all, as we're going to see today from the portion of the Lord's Prayer where we're at, we're going to look at Jesus' instructions that he gives us to ask for our own forgiveness, but as well to forgive others. Listen to what Jesus says when it comes to forgiveness. Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 12. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Here's what I believe Jesus wants us to understand and live out. 
where we'll kind of anchor our sermon for today. God's desire for all of us is that we would receive the gift of forgiveness in our own lives and allow it to flow through us to others. To fully understand this, though, we have to first start by breaking down or understanding what that word debt is that's used in our text. Now, depending on the translation you read um, or the gospel where you read it from, it's the Lord's Prayer is found in both Matthew and Luke, or depending on your experiences or your upbringing of hearing and reciting the Lord's Prayer, you might have heard it a few different ways. Debts, as we forgive our debtors. Trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. So which one is right? Well, simply put, they all communicate the same thing. Whichever words you use, they all speak to this same idea. Something is owed, and as such, there is a duty or an obligation to pay. Now, for us today, debt might connect best with us uh, in the sense of financial debt. Unfortunately, many of us likely find ourselves there. Mortgages, credit cards, student loans. And when we're in debt to a, letter, uh, to a lender, we have the obligation to pay back what we owe. Now, debt existed in Jesus' day as well. However, there was severe punishment when it came to debt. Most commonly, it was a prison sentence. In the Roman Empire, prisoners or prisons were most heavily populated by debtors. Any prisoner who could not make good on their payments were incarcerated until they could pay what they owed. And the system was meant to put pressure on the families of the people who were incarcerated to pay the necessary money in order to free their loved one from the debt that they owed. Debt in this day truly was a matter of life or death. Now this would be what was on the mind of those that Jesus was speaking to and the context in which he would have been sharing the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Jesus was bringing to mind for his audience the seriousness of debt. For their day, the seriousness of debt was the imprisonment that uh, could happen. The seriousness that Jesus was calling to light was the debt that we owe to God the Father. The debt we owe to God the Father is because of sin within our life. And I feel we hear this word sin so often, but let's do some work to really understand what is meant by that word sin. Sin is when, as one of the words we've already used, we trespass against God. It is anything that goes against the commands that God has given us. More clearly put, it's missing the mark. It's missing the mark of loving God and loving others as God calls us to. This is why Jesus says the greatest command for us is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, because sin is so much more than just doing bad things, but it's when we aren't perfectly loving God. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, I think capture that idea well. 
From the message it reads, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does want what God wants is set for eternity. I think we can all agree that we often stray from loving God and loving others in the way that we should. Romans 3.23 reads, For all have sinned, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. This means everybody here in this room, watching online, everyone needs forgiveness because we have sinned. And as sinners, we stand before God condemned, rightly deserving his just wrath. And sin has serious consequences. Sin kills. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And so when we sin, we are in debt to God. And the debt we owe is death. Thankfully for us, Jesus made a way by becoming the payment to pay the debt we owed, by dying on the cross for our sins. Romans chapter five, verse eight through nine read, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Jesus has paid the debt that we owe. In order for sin to be overcome and defeated, it had to be Jesus, someone without sin, to pay that price. Jesus was anointed for us. His mission included him paying that price for us. Our sins are forgiven, but only because the price of death was paid. Only because death was overcome. The blood of Jesus was what is able to erase our debt. Indeed, we are forgiven of our sins and the grave could not hold him. He was the perfect sacrifice that God accepted on our behalf and in his resurrection, he defeated death. Every sin is forgiven. No one is so deep within sin that they cannot be forgiven. Our sins are forgiven apart from our efforts and we are declared righteous. Think of it this way. There are two university friends, and after graduating university, one became a successful lawyer, went on to be a judge. The other friend, unfortunately, fell into a life of crime. Well, one day, that friend got caught by the law and ended up in a court. And he ended up standing before his friend who had become the judge. Of course, the judge could not ignore the crimes that had been committed. The price had to be paid. As much as he wanted to just sweep it under the rug for his friend, there was still a price that needed to be paid. And a sentencing was given, and the the debt that was owed was $10,000 for the crimes that were committed. After the ruling was made, the judge left his bench, took off his his robes, 
pulled out his checkbook or his phone for an e-transfer, whatever it is, and made that payment of $10,000 for his friend there that day. This is a similar picture of what God has done for us. He is the judge and we stand before him in court guilty. And as much as God wants to help us and save us from that debt, he cannot just simply swipe it or push it aside. For then he would not be holy or just. But rather we're declared innocent and acquitted of all charges because Jesus paid the price of the penalty for our sin. This is what God's grace has done for us. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, death has been defeated, and as such, we are pronounced innocent. We have been, as we would say, justified before God. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12, read this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Lord's Prayer teaches us there is a need to confess our sin in order to receive God's forgiveness. We needed Jesus to release us from the debt that we owed, a debt that we could never pay on our own. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. When we pray to receive forgiveness for the first time from the Father, we are brought into new standing with him. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now adopted into God's family. And John 1.12 reads, Yet to all those who did receive them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There is an assurance to the promise that he has given. When it comes to having a relationship with God, there is security. God is not going anywhere. And even if we are unfaithful to him, he will remain faithful to you. There is no condemnation for those who have received the grace and forgiveness of God. So why then the need to confess daily? The need to confess my sin to God and experience his forgiveness is a defining mark of the Jesus follower. It is needed in our life just as much as the part of the Lord's prayer where we ask for daily bread for daily forgiveness in, in our life. Know our standing does not change when we sin. We are still part of God's family. That remains the same. But just as the same with any other relationship, when something is wrong or someone, something is not right within a relationship, there has to be a restoration. There has to be a confession and a making right of what has happened. That is what our confession and forgiveness does with God. It's the beginning of renewed relationship with him, restoring the right relationship. He doesn't require it to be formal, memorized, robotic, but it is us deepening our relationship with the Father, being honest and forthright, and seeking to be clean and pure with him. Forgiveness is not just meant to be received, though, 
It's also meant to flow through us, which is the second part of this verse. It's meant to be given to others. Before we move on, though, I want to be clear about what forgiving others does mean, because I think there's a lot of misconception on what forgiveness is. See, forgiveness is not denying that wrong has been done. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not saying that your pain is not legitimate. It's not legitimizing the behavior of the other person. It's not tolerating injustice. And here's a big one. It's not reconciliation. I think a lot of us believe that forgiveness means there has to be reconciliation. But forgiveness is not contingent on the other person's actions. I can forgive someone without there being reconciliation in the relationship. Forgiveness is, on the other hand, canceling a debt. It's releasing the offender of the offense. It's not wanting ill for the offender. It's placing the person in God's hands. And often, it's an ongoing process. Not a one and done. When we have an inaccurate understanding of forgiveness, it can make the charge to forgive others more difficult. So hopefully, just this brief picture gives a little bit clearer understanding of what it is that forgiveness means as we talk about it. And this is important because forgiveness is a command. It's not optional. It's not something that we can bypass, but it is an imperative of those that have chosen to follow Jesus with their life. There is an expectation, a requirement, that as Jesus' followers, that we extend the same forgiveness to others that we have received from God. Ephesians 4.32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. When I receive the gift of forgiveness flowing to me from the Father, I must then allow it to flow through me. Forgiveness is giving others what the Father gave you. Now at this point, many of us might be struggling and saying, this is all good for small offenses. But you have no idea how I've been wronged. There's no way I can forgive this person for what they did, for what they said, for what they've put me through. Many of us are hurting deeply because of offenses that we've suffered from others. Many of us have open wounds and this thought of forgiveness is hard because we can't even grasp this idea of forgiving what happened. A friend who's betrayed us. A cheating spouse. Abuse from a family member. Physical abuse in a relationship. A broken relationship. 
a coach, a teacher, a pastor who has abused their authority. Theft. Broken promises. A wrongful dismissal. And the list goes on. I'm sure you filled it out in your mind already. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know the situations where you find yourself. But I do want to say I am sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you've walked through. It was not right. It should not have happened. And it is not the full life that Jesus wants for you. Your heavenly father looks at you in that hurt and that pain and his heart breaks and he too says, I am sorry that you have experienced this. But he doesn't stop there. He comes to you and enters into your pain and he sits with you and says, I want to help you heal. And to do that, I'm going to work through you to help you forgive where you are not strong enough or ready to do it on your own. Here's a powerful truth when it comes to forgiving others. Forgiveness is not dependent on your own strength. Let that be freeing to you. (laughs) Forgiveness is not dependent on your own strength. When we feel resistant to extend forgiveness, when it seems impossible, it is often because we are trying to approach it on our own. We try to motivate ourselves and push ourselves to do what seems impossible and often is. Well, let me say, when we have been wounded deeply, when you have suffered hurt, abuse, neglect, defamation, injustice, it is impossible to forgive on your own. And this is why the Jesus movement is all about participation. It's not defined by hard work or determination, but rather participation in what Jesus has already accomplished. Our ability to forgive others is only possible when we fully receive the forgiveness that Jesus has given to us and then allow it to flow freely through us. On our own, we cannot extend the gift of forgiveness. It has to come from our partnership with Jesus. Lisa Turkhurst, who's the founder and president of um, Proverbs 31 Ministries, writes a lot on forgiveness. She's a good resource if you're looking. She writes this. God knew we couldn't do it on our own. So he made a way not dependent on our strength, a forgiving way, a way to grab onto Jesus' outstretched arms, bloody from crucifixion and dripping with redemption. 
He forgives what we could never be good enough to make right and makes a way for us to simply cooperate with his work of forgiveness, for us to receive and for us to give. Forgiveness doesn't erase the pain, but it does allow us to begin to heal. In this sense, just as forgiveness is an ongoing process between you and God, coming daily to confess, it is also an ongoing process between you and others. We can forgive in action, but there is likely an ongoing process of forgiveness that, has, that needs to happen as I experience the effects of what, what, uh, the effects of what wrong was done against me. Jesus is teaching us to daily pray for forgiveness because when we do, we begin to share that gift with others. And not only that, it begins the process of healing and freedom within your own life. I believe Jesus actually speaks to this truth more in some verses that follow the Lord's Prayer. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6. Matthew 16, verses 14 and 15 say this. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You might be thinking, how does that speak to freedom? How does that speak to healing? I actually see these verses as an invitation an invitation to freedom. Are these verses literally saying, if I fail to forgive others, God will not forgive me? I don't think so. See, Jesus knows what we don't forgive. We actually give power then to the offending person or party. We make ourselves a captive and Jesus has come to set the captives free. Many of us are in a prison that is the result of refusing to extend forgiveness. There is a person in our life that we just can't forgive. And they've likely caused deep hurt and wounds. And if I'm right, the assumption you have is that they hold no power over you. But let me ask you to pause and to think about that. Is that really true? Who is more affected by your lack of forgiveness? I'd venture to say that it is the person who is not willing to extend the forgiveness. Consider the cost of not forgiving. The energy and motion you give to the hurt throughout the day or the sleep that you lose at night. When bitterness festers, our sorrow and hurt turn to resentment that spreads like an infection, damaging our relationships with others, and in doing so, ends up hurting us more than it does them. When you've refused to let go of hurt, you've tied yourself to that person. In this sense, they do hold power over us. And it keeps us within a prison. Nadia Boltz-Weber says this, 
I really believe that when someone else does us harm, we're connected to that mistreatment like a chain. So what if forgiveness is actually a way of wielding bolt cutters and snapping the chains that link us like it is saying, what you did was so not okay that I refuse to be connected to it anymore. Forgiveness breaks the chains and brings freedom. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean excusing the harm that was done or making up with the person who caused the harm. Forgiveness brings a kind of peace that helps you go on with life. Finding forgiveness towards someone doesn't justify the injustice. It simply frees us from the weight of it. By letting the other person go, you open yourself up to experience the fullness of freedom that God desires for you. We can't expect to receive what we are not willing to give. There needs to be alignment in my life between what I receive from God and what I give. The way to do this is to behold the Father as we sang about this morning. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To behold means to look at, to pay attention to, to listen to. And so often we cannot forgive others because we are so consumed with the offense that has been committed against us. We spend more time paying attention to or looking at beholding the wrong than we do the Father. I like this advice from Max Lucado. He says, before you get caught in the crazy cycle of hurt and forgiveness, try shifting your glance away from the one who hurt you and set your eyes on the one who saved you. When we embrace forgiveness from the Father, we can stop beholding what someone else has done to us and we can begin to behold the Father. Receiving the forgiveness that he has given to us and allowing it to flow through us to others. I want to circle back to where we began with David's story. I'll invite the worship team to come right now. Listen to the way that David's story played out, the story that we began with at the, at the start. On September 10th, 2011, I had a life-changing epiphany. It was my birthday, and I was driving home, and a thought struck me. It was as if God whispered and said in so many words, you weren't meant to carry around this box. It's time to let it go. I realized in that moment that this box wasn't going to unpack itself. If I wanted to heal and move on, the box had to go. So I picked up the phone, it began to ring, and then I heard the sound of my dad's familiar voice on the other end say, hello? My mouth was dry and my hand was shaking as I struggled to find the words to say, dad? Hey, it's me, Dave. Then I just got to it. Dad, I want you to know something. He stayed silent. I don't know what you think I'm holding against you. 
And I'm not justifying how things went down. But here's what I want you to know. I forgive you. I didn't know if he was going to hang up or respond. Thank you, he said. In that conversation, I never heard the words, I'm sorry, but that was okay. I didn't need an apology to validate my decision to get rid of the box. That day, I moved to a new place. Not a new house, but a new way of living without the box. David stopped beholding the wrong that had been done to him. And I believe he began beholding the Father. And doing this led him to be able to put the box of unforgiveness down and to begin healing. By no stretch was all the hurt and the pain undone. In that moment, but by choosing forgiveness, he opened himself up to God's healing and participation in God's plan to bring his kingdom come. It's time for many of us to let go of that box of hurt and unforgiveness that we've been carrying around. It's time to receive forgiveness from the Father and extend the same forgiveness to others. And so I want to offer you an invitation this morning to come to the altar as we sing and close our service to come and leave that box behind. To lay it down. To move to a new place without it. To choose receiving forgiveness from the Father and to choose to extend forgiveness to others. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to be available right now. And I want you just to know there are people here ready to pray with you. You can pray on your own. Maybe you need to receive forgiveness from the Father for the first time here today. And we would love to pray with you to do that. Maybe you need to pray to let something go. Maybe there's a prayer of forgiveness and extending that to someone else. And you just need to do that because you've been holding it for so long. And you just need freedom from that. And that's the invitation of the Father. Oh, would you come to the altar to lay down your burdens, to lay down that box that's filled with unforgiveness so that you can begin to heal and experience freedom from the Father. So the invitation is open. You can stand and you can sing with us. You can stay seating and sing with us or you can come. And you can lay that down and there'll be people here ready to pray with you.